Well, good morning. How are y'all doing today? Awesome, awesome. If you are joining us for the first time here in our room or online, we want to say welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. Today is a special day, and we want to start out by saying happy Mother's Day to all the moms here in our room. For those of you that don't know me, maybe online, I'm Pastor Nathan, and uh, today, as I said, we're going to be gathering to, to celebrate moms. We want to celebrate them and who they are and really how their influence has just transformed our lives in so many amazing ways. We're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, looking at the story of Hannah. Now, of course, primarily the body of Christ gathers together to honor the Lord, to worship him, of course. Secondly, the body of Christ gathers together to encourage one another. But thirdly, today, like I said, we want to honor motherhood, and we want to honor mothers, all the mothers that are among us this special day. And for me, I think today is extra special. It's an extra special Mother's Day, considering the victory that we've recently heard about against the murderous attack on unborn children. Amen. That attack, it's, it's the, the victory that, that's coming. I'm so excited about, you know, because the, the wicked, just evil, antichrist attempt of this world to present motherhood as nothing more than an inconvenience and unborn children as something to be just flippantly done away with, um, really brutally, murdered without thought of recourse is horrific, and so uh, I am blessed to be able to celebrate motherhood and Mother's Day today with you all. So, you know, moms represent some of the most wonderful attributes of God. A mother's love in many ways sets the standard in a way that nothing else does. You know, a mom who loves their kids makes their kids feel so special because of that love. And we've all had mothers, or else we wouldn't be here, right? You know, and we've all related to our moms in different ways at different age stages of life. You know, when you were four years old, mom can do anything. She was invincible and invulnerable. When you're 12 years old, well, you start thinking, mom doesn't know everything. <laughs> then you hit 14 and you start saying out loud, mom, you don't know everything. 18, you start to think mom's out of touch with the times. She's so, so antiquated. She's so out of touch. But you hit 25, and then you start to go, well, mom knows a few things. Then you hit 35, and it's, well, before we decide, let, let's get mom's opinion. Then you hit 45, and it's, you know, I wonder what my mom would do in this situation. And then for some of us, you hit elder ages, 65 or such, and you go, I wish I could talk to my mom just one more time. You know, some of you might have that feeling this morning. You know, Mother's Day is a little bit uh, tough for you because your mom isn't here anymore. She's not here on earth with you. And I just want to encourage you um, to remember the great things about your mom and who she was. Many of you, when you had children of your own, came to appreciate your moms all the more, right? You're like, I had no idea. And then you'd start to realize the incredible work that being a parent is, and, and it could be tough. You know, being a mom is, is, is a tough job. I read a story of a mom that was pushing her shopping cart through a Walmart, and her little girl was sitting in the shopping cart screaming at the top of her lungs the entire time. And she was just going through the store, and this girl was just screaming her head off. And the mom was walking along out loud, very calmly saying now, calm down, Ellen. 
It'll be over soon, Ellen. It'll be all right, Ellen. It's almost time to go home, Ellen. And one of the workers there saw that mom and was so impressed and said, you know, ma'am, you are to be commended at how patient you are with little Ellen. And that mom looked at that worker a little quizzically and said, um, I'm Ellen. So, this morning here in 1 Samuel, we're gonna look at the story of a great mom. A great mom, both before her motherhood and during her motherhood. And we're gonna see three wonderful attributes that I believe make up a great mom. But first, we're gonna start by worshiping God as we do, praising him for who he is, all that he has done, and today especially to thank him for the wonderful moms that he has given us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all of it. We thank you for our moms, God, and today we are here to celebrate the gift you've given us in our moms, Lord. God, godly moms are such a radical, positive influence in our lives, Lord. We know that no mom is perfect. Lord, we know that moms make mistakes, but we also know that moms love us like no other that they endeavor to take care of us and nurture us and to raise us like no other, Lord. And we wanna celebrate moms today. We wanna celebrate motherhood today. God, especially in this climate where motherhood is under attack, where motherhood is being looked at as something useless, something worthless, Lord, but motherhood is critically important, God. And Lord, in moms, you have displayed so many of your attributes, God, and we're so thankful for that. So Lord, today, we just wanna celebrate you and who you are. We want to praise you and thank you for what you've done, and especially, Lord, in giving us great moms. We love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Check, check. Am I on? Yeah, there All right. Some of you have been asking a, question, a couple questions about the baptism service. Uh, is there going to be teaching or whatnot? That all depends on how many baptisms we're doing. So the intent is to open up as we normally do and, and have a time of worship. And then uh, depending on how many baptisms there are, I'll either be doing a, a, a short message or a medium message, whatever. And then after that, we'll be doing the baptisms as the tail end of the service. And so um, since this is our first one, we're kind of in the unknown a little bit on how that, how that goes. We've been trying to guesstimate, okay, how many minutes does each baptism take <laughs> you know, and all that to try and figure out the timing. So um, we'll see what happens on June 5th, okay? Uh, but the idea is here is to celebrate that with the body of Christ here, to celebrate with those who are making that public profession. And so uh, if we have uh, so many baptisms, people signed up to get baptized, that that is the entire service, then that's what we'll be doing that day. And still would love for you to be here because while the baptisms are going on, the worship team will be leading us in worship and it's just gonna be a great time of celebration and praise and, and, and it's just gonna be wonderful. So. With that, we are in the book of 1 Samuel this morning as we're celebrating Mother's Day. Now, ironically, the book of 1 Samuel is about three great men, all right? And then you're like, that's a weird way to start a Mother's Day service. But the book of Samuel overall, you know, is obviously about Samuel the prophet, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, Saul, the first king of Israel, who, who was a man who had his issues, and then David, the second and greatest king of Israel. So it's a wonderful book to study, but the whole story starts with the story of a woman, a very important woman, a woman who was facing some great challenges in her life, because one of the big challenges she was facing is that she was infertile. But through her faith and her prayer and her walk with God, 
She eventually gave birth to a son named Samuel, who, as I said, went on to become one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. But it's interesting because if you go through the Old Testament, you'll see that, that some of the, the, or many of the exceptionally great works of God in Scripture um, were initiated by women. You go back into Exodus and you see the story of Moses, and you have his mom, Jochebed, who is the one that put him in the little basket and floated him down the river. And that kept Moses alive and led to the whole story of the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt. In the book of Esther, we have the story of the miraculous preservation of the Jews in Persia, and Esther was instrumental in that story. And then, of course, our salvation in the Gospels begins with the story of a very young virgin woman named Mary. So many great things in Scripture have happened. So many great stories, so many great changes to the world have begun with the women that we see in scripture. Now beginning here in 1 Samuel, we have the story of a woman named Hannah. And this morning I wanna highlight three things that I think characterize great mothers in this story. Three things that God does, God uses to make great mothers here in our world today. And the first one is that God uses great challenges to make great mothers. You know, we could sometimes think of Bible characters, stories of the people we read in Scripture as, as they're just, they're perfect people, right? They're in the Bible. They, they've got no issues. They have nothing wrong. They have no challenges. But when we study their lives in Scripture, we see that the truth is very, very different. Because every life has problems. We know that. Every single life has problems of one form or another. And just because you might have problems... Just because, ladies, you might have challenges in your life doesn't mean that you can't be a great mom because God can do anything with anybody. And so read with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, There was a man from Ramathaim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah, and the second, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah was childless. So in the very beginning of this book, in the very beginning of this story, we see that Hannah's great challenge was that she was infertile. This was a big deal because in the culture and the time, the hope of every single Jewish couple was to have children. That was the greatest hope. Having, having kids, having children was considered blessing from God. And conversely, not being able to have children was considered affliction or, or a curse from God because the idea was that you lived through your children, right? Your kids carried on your legacy. They carried on the family name. And so the idea was that, that, that your legacy, your influence, all of that was, was carried through your kids. And so it was a huge, huge deal to have children. And so culturally, the idea was that the more kids you had, the better, Right? because more people to carry on the family name and the family legacy. And as I said, childlessness in the, in the culture was, was um, something that carried a very terrible stigma. It was seen, as I said, an affliction or a curse from God. If a woman couldn't have a child, she was considered cursed. And we see that down in verse 11 of 1 Samuel 1, where Hannah is praying and it says, making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, Remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. And then she goes on to say, I will dedicate that child to you, Lord. And so in referring to her childless, childless state, she calls it an affliction. This was her big, great challenge prior to being a mother. 
Now this concept was, was a fairly normal concept at the time. In Genesis 29, 32, we read of Jacob's wife, Leah, when she finally became pregnant, she said, the Lord has seen my affliction, <laughs> right? You know, and then of course, Jacob's other wife, Rachel, because Leah could have children and she couldn't, she basically demanded angrily, give me children or I will die. So having kids was a big deal, all right? Motherhood was a big deal. Raising family was a big deal. And it was such an important thing in the psyche of parents and the family at the time um, that, that they had come up with ideas in the Jewish law that, well, like for example, one of them was if in the Jewish law, this wasn't biblical, but according to the Jewish law, if your wife did not or could not bear you a child within 10 years of marriage, you could legally divorce her. Now, how's that to make a woman feel who might be struggling with that, right? A woman in Hannah's position. But if a husband didn't want to divorce his wife, he was then allowed to marry a second wife so that she could bear children and carry on the family legacy. Now, obviously, if you're a student of scripture, you notice that multiple wives and stuff was never God's plan, never God's purpose, never God's intention for marriage, but this is what we see going on here in verse two of 1 Samuel. Elkanah had two wives. The first one, Hannah, the second, Panina, because the first wife that he had was unable to bear children. That was her big challenge. Now the second big challenge that she had prior to motherhood, and I believe God used these things to make her a loving and nurturing and caring mom, was that she had a rival, this other wife, Panina. Look in verse three of 1 Samuel 1. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Panina, and to each of her sons and daughters. Now, did you notice what it said there? Sons, plural. Daughters, plural. Imagine being Hannah in this situation. Try as she might. She's unable to have children. And so then the other wife comes into the equation and she's just a baby factory. It's hard to imagine Hannah having meal times with the family, right? Or to, to go to church with the family, you know, because there's this constant reminder in front of her that she's unable to have kids. And the worst time was the annual feast at Shiloh. Because the annual feast at Shiloh was supposed to be a time of worship and rejoicing and praise, but not for Hannah. For Hannah, this annual celebration was an annual reminder of her situation. In verse six, it says, her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way, and Hannah would weep and would not eat. That's pretty cruel. Year after year, every time they went up to Shiloh for the worship and the sacrifice, Penina would provoke her, would taunt her, Right? I imagine it was things like, you know, they're walking along and Padina's like, oh my gosh, that's so difficult keeping track of all these children. You know, oh, it's so hard looking over at Hannah, you know, with this snide, snarky look on her face. It was a bad situation for Hannah and it was made worse by the lack of grace and compassion from Padina. I bring all this up, and the reason I bring all this up and I'm starting here in her stories because it does highlight a common problem in our world today and it's infertility. I was looking up some of the stats, and in 2019, according to the CDC, 
19.4% of women that are of childbearing age, and they consider that from the age of 15 to about 45 is what they call childbearing age, about 19.4% are infertile. They can't get pregnant naturally or they can't get pregnant at all no matter what's going on. They've gone to the doctors, they've prayed, they've gone to prayer meetings, still no children. And what this means for, for women that are in that situation is year after year, when this annual celebration called Mother's Day comes up, it's not a happy day for them. Sure, they're, they're I'm sure, happy to celebrate for others, and, and we celebrate the moms and those that have raised kids and have kids, but, but for them, there's always this tinge of hurt they carry because they can't seem to have kids. And it hurts. No matter how bad they want it, it doesn't happen. Now, I want to be really delicate here, but, but, but try to be very encouraging. You know, from the, from the perspective of the sovereignty of God, childbearing is under his authority. I can't definitively say why some people can have kids and others can't. Um, I don't know why that, that we live in a world where there's so many unwanted pregnancies when there's so many women who just want nothing more than to get pregnant and have kids. But I do know this. Your value to God is not based on your ability to reproduce or not. Please hear that. Your value to God has nothing to do with whether or not you can have kids. God loves you desperately because you're made in his image. You are of incredible value to him whether or not you can produce children. And you're not alone. You're not alone because if you're here today, this Mother's Day, and, and, and for some reason you're, you're at the stage of life right now where, you, where you've been unable to have kids and you can't have children, you're actually in a long list of great women of faith in Scripture. When you go through the Bible, you see Sarah, Abraham's wife, unable to have kids. But guess what? God. Rebecca, Isaac's wife, was infertile, but God. Rachel, Jacob's wife, was infertile, but God. Ruth, the wife of Boaz, in her first marriage, she was unable to produce children, but God. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, was infertile, but God. The list of women who, for one reason or another, couldn't have kids is long. Now, it's interesting, if you notice about all these women, they were all righteous women. They were matriarchs of the faith, champions of the faith of God in, in, in this world. They had great, great faith, while many of those who could bear children seemed to not have so much, right? And you see this in the story. You have Hannah, this great woman of faith, and we're going to get into that in a moment, being taunted and provoked by, by Panina. Now, it's just a short detail there, but a woman to, to, to do what Panina was doing, I don't think she was a very godly woman personally. So having kids doesn't mean for anybody that, that, that you're better or more blessed or a more godlier woman than someone else. And also, if you're unable to have kids, that you're less somehow than, than anybody else. You're not cursed if you're unable to bear children, okay? You are not cursed, you are not afflicted. I believe that it means that you are kept. 
that God is keeping you. God has reserved you for, for something else, some other blessings. And, and just a few thoughts that, that the Lord gave to me as I was thinking about this is one, obviously if you haven't been able to have kids yet and you're here this Mother's Day and you're like, oh, here we are again and the reminder that I don't have children, God may still be preparing you to be a parent in the future. So don't lose hope. Okay, God may be still preparing you just because some medical test or some doctor has said definitively, you are unable to have kids, so what? God is in the business of miracles. Two, maybe God is preparing you to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent, right? There, there are so many kids in this world that, that, that need homes and, and, and they're just waiting for a parent to, to take them in and maybe that's what God is preparing you for. Maybe God just wants you available for, for a very specific work or calling that, that, that having children would preclude or, or inhibit in some way. And so God is saying, not yet, right? Because there's another work or a calling I have in your life. And lastly, God may be simply using this time to increase your faith in him, to increase your trust in him, his will, and his plan for your life. But ultimately, God knows so trust him in your place. Don't let this day be, be something that just drives you into grief and, 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 and suffering, but, but let it be a time to say, okay, God, I'm trusting you still, and God, I, you know what I want, and you know what's on my heart, but God, I'm gonna trust you with my life and my circumstance. And so Hannah's great challenge, this great challenge of her infertility, and then this, this rival that constantly provoked her and, and, and just just taunted her with her inability to have children, I believe God used that to build Hannah's faith, as we'll see in a moment. And it all contributed to her being a great mother when the time came. Now leads to the second thing that I think characterizes great moms that we learn from Hannah's story, is great moms have great priorities. Great priorities. And those priorities specifically what I'm referring to is their relationships. Hannah prioritized having a great relationship with God, she prioritized having a great relationship with her husband. And then when the time came, she prioritized having a great relationship with her son. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 9, it says this. On one occasion, and this is talking about on one of their trips up to Shiloh, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Prana, Prana, Hannah, prayed to the Lord, and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all of the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. And this was referring to the vow of the Nazarite. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you gonna be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depths of my anguish and resentment. And that resentment was referring to the anger she has about how she was treated by, by Penina. And then verse 17, Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. I think this is a beautiful picture 
of what takes place a lot in the heart of a mom. The heart of one who wants to be a mom, who is a mom, who was a mom. It's this wonderful snapshot of tears mixed with, with heartfelt prayers. It, it, it's, it's tears that, that then are filled with faith and hope. And some of you may know what that's like being a mom. You know, when there's tears in our eyes, it's said that there's often painful effort in our hearts. I know when I was a kid, I caused my mom many tears and great anguish and intense suffering, and I could go on a long time with that list. But she loved me through it. No matter when she had times where she's like, I, quite honestly, I, I don't want you to be my son anymore. <laughs> she never said that to me, but you know. She loved me through all of it. You know, my mom didn't know the Lord at the time, but I'm positive and I'm sure that if she did, those tears would have been mixed with great faith and prayer and trust in God. God, please help me with my son. I love him so much, but he's this or he's wayward or he's causing these issues or doing these things. But what we see here about Hannah is that it's a snapshot of her relationship with God. She trusted him. She had faith in him, and she's pouring out all of her tears and all of her anguish and all of her wants and all of her needs before God. What's interesting is here in the text of 1 Samuel 1, there is no record of her complaining to her husband about the situation. There's no record of her blaming him, kind of like how Jacob's wife did, right? Give me children or I will die. There's no record here in the text that she even wanted to go fight with Penina. None of that. What we see, what we see of Hannah's character is that she takes the sorrows of her heart, she takes the anguish of her situation, and then she goes and pours it all out before the Lord. And it shows us a picture of her trust and her faith in God and who he is and what he could do. Now in her prayer, she says, Lord of armies, in other translations, it says, Lord of hosts. And that word hosts literally means armies. And so what she's saying as she's praying to him is like, look, God, I know and believe that you are literally the master commander of the armies of heaven. You are the supreme authority. She's appealing to God based upon that authority and based upon his sovereignty. And so she says, look, you're so powerful, Lord, your power and authority are so great based upon you being the commander of heaven's armies. I'm asking you this. Give me a son. Now in verse 12, you'll notice there it says, while she continued praying in the Lord's presence. This tells us something about her prayer. This wasn't a quick toss it out prayer, right? Hey Lord, I want a baby. Thank you very much, amen. And move on. This was, this was something that she prayed and continued to pray, and took before the Lord regularly. She was in anguish over it, she was hurt, she was distraught over the situation, but she didn't even blame God for it. She said, God, I trust you, and so I'm just gonna bring this to you and bring this to you over and over. And then in verse 17, Eli says, well, when he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant your request, the idea with that phrase is it's kind of like, you know, well wishes. I'm not saying you're gonna have kids, but I hope you do. That's kind of what Eli says there, right? And so verse 18, she says, may your servant find favor with you. Then Hannah went on her way, she ate, and no longer looked despondent. She went in sad. She prayed. She poured out all that before the Lord, and she came out no longer despondent. 
no longer sad. She went in with a sorrow of heart and she left that time of prayer with a peace that surpassed all understanding. It's exactly what Philippians 4 talked about when it says, present your request to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I believe this is a picture here of a, of a, of a woman who will be a mother who is is being prepared to be a mother, who has a real relationship with God. She's not just going through the religious motions. She's not just showing up to church because, well, that's what you're supposed to do, and, and I flip through my Bible here and there, and you know, she's not just going through the ritual of it. She actually has a real relationship with God. There's depth to that relationship. And that relationship is a heritage that she ends up passing on to her son, Samuel. Hannah's relationship to God here is demonstrated in her priority of pouring out whatever was in her heart to God consistently and and, and trusting in his power to do the impossible, going to him with it. You know, there's there's much to be said about about a a woman, a wife, a mother, you know, talking with their spouse and, and praying together with things, yes. You know, and there's much about getting counsel from others and, you know, other people and what should I do and here's my issue and please pray with me but God is the place ultimately to go because God is the one that could do anything about it. God is the changer of hearts. God is the doer of miracles. And so we see this in her relationship with the Lord. And, you know, truth be told, praying moms are powerful. Praying moms are powerful. Praying grandmothers are powerful, and they have done so much to change the world. Abraham Lincoln said about his mom, no one is poor who had a godly mother. And in his writings, he remarked about remembering the prayers of his mom, and he said, quote, they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. And next, we see Hannah's keeping great priorities, not just in her relationship with the Lord, but in her relationship with her husband. Verse four. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to each of her sons and daughters. Verse five. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, For he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. He loved her. That's an important detail. It's quick. You might just read by it and go, wait, what? No, no. it means that in the culture where where women were were looked down upon that couldn't have kids, were, were seen as disposable, he loved her. That word says that he 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 loved her, he he cared for her, he kept her. He didn't divorce her. It's this whole idea of this relationship. And so in verse eight, it says that her husband came to her and said, Hannah, why are you crying? He said, why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? He, he tried, I guess. He tried. I don't know how help, helpful that statement was. You know, she's brokenhearted because she can't have children. And, and more so in our culture. I mean, having kids is, 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 is a wonderful blessing, but in that culture, it was just had this dynamic of it was everything. And he's like, hey, baby, don't be upset. You got me. I'm better than 10 kids. But what I want us to notice there is the understanding that, that, that they have between the two of them. There, there's this great love between the two of them. You know, even though his statement might have been a little tone deaf, a little emotionally deficient, um, 
what we see there, sorry, I think there was a spider on my arm. Got you. All right, go away. All right. What I want us to notice there, verse 5, it says, He loved her and gave her a double portion of meat after the sacrifice. The idea there between that, him giving her a double portion of meat after the sacrifice, and then him saying, hey, you got me. <laughs> In all of that, we see this picture that he provided for her. He took care of her. He, he did what he could and how he knew how it to, to attend to her needs. He didn't divorce her when she couldn't have kids. He didn't cast her off, and he didn't treat her poorly. He took care of her. And in their culture, the culture of the time, if you wanted to show great honor to someone, if you wanted them to, to feel like they were, they were considered VIP, you would give them more food. So keep that in mind today during Mother's Day lunches and dinners, okay? But, but here's a couple, a man and wife that, that loved each other. And, and here is a husband dwelling with his wife with understanding, as Peter writes about, right? Her situation was difficult. I doubt he could fully understand from her perspective what he's going through, but he's trying. He's trying and, 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 and fumbling. I read a quote from a teenager, and his teenager said, I wish my parents had known that unless marriage, pre marriage partners truly love one another, there is little they can teach their own kids about the love of God or Christian living. And I read that, and I was like, wow, you know? I believe children love to see their parents love each other. They love that. I know that parents don't like, or kids don't like to see their parents going at each other and fighting and being antagonistic. They don't like that at all. Parents are supposed to love each other. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfectly getting along 24-7. But parents who love one another and treat one another respectfully and loving and with sacrificial service to one another and, and all these things, they, they, they provide stability for their children. That's been studied and, and identified. You know, one of the best gifts I think a mom can give her kids is to, yes, love God, but also to love your spouse in front of your kids. To love God and love your spouse in front of your kids. You know, we see Hannah here, you know, in, in her relationship, and, and even though she hadn't had her kid yet, she was setting this great example. She had this priority of her relationship with God, and then she had this, this, this relationship, this priority relationship with her husband, and now, verse 19, we start to see the priority of her relationship with her child. 1 Samuel 1, verse 19. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. So this is after her prayer. And afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go but explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband, Elkanah, replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you have weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. And so Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. So the idea here is that, that her child, raising her child right, raising her child in the Lord, raising her child so that she could come to the point of launching him to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to the Lord became a great priority in her life. She committed to raising her kid and being there for him. 
Now, this concept of weaning in those days, weaning wasn't just a couple months or, or a few years, but it was several years. In some cases, weaning a child could last all the way up to seven years old in the culture. And weaning wasn't just the, the concept of physical nurturing or breastfeeding or that type of thing. Weaning, um, the word means to deal fully with. So the concept of weaning a child not, not only involved nurtural, uh, physical nurturing, but spiritual training as well in the culture. Um, she passed her faith onto her child is the idea here. And, and we see this in the New Testament. If you remember when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he said, from infancy, you have known the scriptures, right? And we know in Timothy's life that it was his mother and his grandmother that were instrumental in implanting faith into his life. And I believe it was a part of that cultural weaning process. Yes, physically raising them and making sure they're healthy, but also pouring into them spiritually. So when God gave Hannah this little child, she committed to raising that child. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. And even though it meant she couldn't go with the family to enjoy the annual sacrifice, right? She couldn't go on that annual family trip with the rest of the family. Her child became a priority. Now this doesn't mean that her child became a priority over her husband, which does happen sometimes in couples and that's out of order. It's, it's out of order. But essentially what it's saying here is, is there, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Hannah's saying there's a lot of stuff that, that I can't do because I'm committed to raising this child. This season of my life, this season of my life, I'm dedicated to, to nurturing and raising and training up this child. And so she makes that a huge priority in her life because one day she knows she's gonna have to send him out to live his life. She's gonna have to launch that child into into adulthood, if you will. Now, he gets launched a little bit younger than that, but we know that Samuel then becomes to grow to become a great priest, a great prophet. It's said the first few years of a child's life are the most important. One psychiatrist said, the young child's hunger for his mother's love and presence is as great as his hunger for food. Her absence inevitably generates a powerful sense of loss and anger. Now, I know we live in a world today where it's tougher and tougher for like moms to stay home with their kids, right? Especially in Southern California, <laughs> you know, well, if I wanna feed my kid, I've gotta go work because I also got rent and bills and all that stuff. And the idea is I'm not setting up here and saying, oh, women, you're, your moms, you're supposed to stay home with your kids, you know, full time and stuff. If you can and God provides for that, it'll be a blessing to your kids for sure. But the idea here is what, what, what makes a great mom in the story of Hannah is a great priority she makes, not only in her relationship with God to be an example, not only in her relationship with her husband to be an example, but in her relationship with her child, to be present in that child's life, to be, to be, to be there to, to nurture and to grow and to be a part of what a mom is called to do spiritually in that kid's life. And the last thing that I think characterizes great mothers here in Hannah's story is great mothers recognize that they have a great stewardship. Look in 1 Samuel 1, verse 24. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Now, I don't know if there was a little hint of like, yeah, remember that lady that you accused of being drunk? <laughs> Pastor, right? I don't know if she did that. But anyways, hey, I'm that lady, you know, that stood here praying. I prayed for this boy. And since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, 
I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. And so this is the day where she launches Samuel out into his life. A little bit younger than would normally be the case, but again, there was a promise made that she was gonna commit him. And so um, boys that were entering into the priesthood there, they would often be given young so that they're trained up in the temple to be a priest there. And so she launches him out, and this is what she promised to do. This is what she planned to do. I think it's a picture of, of in Hannah's raising her child, she demonstrated a truth for us that, that, that nothing we have in this life really is ours, including our children. They're God's. Our kids belong to the Lord. They're given to us under a stewardship to train, to raise, to nurture, to love. We're all stewards of whatever we have because whatever we have has been given, us, given to us by God. That's an important just life truth to live for both men and women. You know, sometimes we think, no, I, I'm the one that built the thing. Well, God gave you the brain and the hands and the body to build the thing. And so that doesn't mean to dismiss our, our efforts and our thoughts into stuff, but the idea of a stewardship is like God, God has given me everything, and so I'm just going to honor him with everything. This is all your stuff, but it applies to your kids as well. They are a stewardship from the Lord. That's why baby dedications are, are such a blessed thing. We're going to have one next week. And uh, it's just such a neat time to, to dedicate your children to the Lord, you know? To say, God, I, I want them to be dedicated to you and I'm gonna commit to raise them and train them and to teach them and to be an example for them of godliness. And so in closing here, I think great moms are made through the great challenges that God would present in their lives. And we see in Hannah's life where, where obviously she learned some patience, obviously she learned some to how to have peace in the midst of, of great travesty. Um, moms have great priorities in their relationship with God. Great moms do. Their relationship with God, then their relationship with their spouse, and then obviously their relationship with their kids. And they recognize and maximize the great stewardship that they have been given. So whether you have children or not today, whether you've been praying for kids and it still hasn't happened or not. Um, ladies, you are of great value to God. Never forget that. Never question that. Never let society twist that. In our society, specifically on the flip side of the coin, moms, you've been given a great stewardship. Never take that for granted. Never think it's just a mere inconvenience. Never let the temptation come to look at your kids as something that ruined your life take hold because it's not true. You've been given something great and mighty and awesome and a calling that, that, that God has equipped you to do. And know that, that, that when you have pain, whether it's prior to motherhood and, and God, I'm just, why can't I have kids? Or during motherhood, you know, God, why do I have kids? You know, God hears you. God hears your prayers, moms. Ladies, God hears you. And he has a purpose and a plan in all of it. He's aware. And there is something he is doing to, in, in the process, so trust him. Trust him. Put your faith in him. It doesn't mean you can't have anguish. It doesn't mean there won't be tears. It doesn't mean there won't be those moments of my heart's broken. 
but take all of that to God and say, God, just I want to give it to you and trust you with it. And he will bring you a peace that will surpass all understanding. And don't do that just once, but keep doing that. Develop and, and keep a set of priorities that you will live your life by, right? Make it a priority in your life to, to, to focus on your relationship with God individually as a woman. And then as a mom, make that a priority. If you're married, make, make your relationship with your spouse a priority of keeping that godly and good and working through issues in a godly way because, because if you are a mom, your kids are watching that. Make it a priority to be present in your children's lives as much as you possibly can. To love them and be present in their lives. And you know, because if you want to raise your kids in a Christian home, well, then you need to make sure Christ is at home in your heart. And so make, make all of that a priority in your life. And then before, during, and after motherhood, just make a plan to honor the Lord at all times. Knowing that when he does give you children, he's given you a great stewardship. A great stewardship. And so example for them. Be the example for them of a life of worship and obedience and righteousness and godliness and prayer and trust and faith. Because all these things together are are what I believe part of what makes great godly moms great godly moms. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, we call you Father. But Lord, there is so much of who you are in your character that is demonstrated through, through moms. The love, the care, the concern. God, Lord, none of this is meant to put fathers down. They, just, they have another day, and we'll deal with that on their day. But today, we want to we th- say thank you for moms and what they do. Especially those moms that, 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 that live that godly example for us of faith and trust. Lord, those moms that, that are married, God, who, who example love and respect for their spouse, spouse, Lord, in front of their kids, that they would love their spouse in front of their kids, and their kids would see even in disagreements or, or challenges or difficulties, God, how those things are resolved in a godly manner. That, God, moms would continue to be encouraged and built up, Lord, as they turn to you in prayer to pour out their heart and their sorrows and their anguish and the difficult things, Lord, to you because, God, you are almighty and you could fix and you could do miracles and you could change hearts and, Lord, you can do it all. And so, Lord, today I just pray, God, you would bless all the moms here in this room that you would continue to fill them with your Holy Spirit and equip them for the calling of, of raising their kids, not just physically nurturing them, but spiritually pouring into them, Lord, that they would one day be launched into a life of success in, 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 in you know, living for you, God, but a life that glorifies you in everything. Lord, I pray today for those that, that haven't been able to have children, but have desperately wanted to. God, I pray, Lord, that today your spirit would fill them as well, God, and that they would have a peace from you. God, maybe a peace they've never had, that, that you have a purpose and a plan, Lord, and that they would be able to trust you in that. Knowing that you're doing something, there is a reason, God. And even if they have been told by medical professionals that it's an impossibility, nothing is impossible with you, Lord. And so, God, 
we just ask you to just honor and bless our moms. Our moms-to-be, our moms who have already launched their kids, and grandmothers who are raising their kids. Lord, those that maybe haven't had a biological connection to somebody but have been a mother figure in the, in the life of another person, Lord, bless them. Bless them today, God. We're so grateful for them. We love you so much. We praise your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Let's worship.